Hello and welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Gina Ferrari. I'm Kristen Corona. And I'm Catherine Baer. When walking in faith seems impossible and you can't see the purpose in your pain, we are here to help you find hope in the struggle. Welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Catherine. And I'm here with Gina Ferrari. Kristen Corona. Yes. And we have a very special guest today. We are so excited to welcome Christine Handy, who is joining us today. She is an international model, best-selling author, breast cancer survivor, motivational speaker, humanitarian, Harvard student, love that, designer of an emerging swimsuit line for women affected by breast cancer. She has been modeling both on a national and international level that started really young at age 11, actually. She has written a book entitled Walk Beside Me, which is a best-selling book, and it's in its second publishing. Uh, All three of us actually had the privilege of reading that. We're going to talk about that today. And Christine is on the board of eBeauty, which is a national charitable wig exchange program for women who cannot afford wigs during their chemo treatment. And she's also the president of the Board of People of Purpose, which is a nonprofit organization in Palm Beach County that is changing the rate of recidivism. Her story is actually in line to become a film entitled Willow, but her real joy, and this is what we want to get into today, comes from serving and teaching others. Welcome, Christine Handy. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you. It's always a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. You have quite a story and quite a resume, I have to say, and one that is really fraught with perseverance and continuing to fight. And you say in your book, I love this, and I want to quote, no weapon formed against us will prosper, says the Lord, but it doesn't say weapons will not be formed. And I love that sentence. So true. You had 21 non-elective surgeries, 28 rounds of chemo, and many days in between fighting just to feel well. So it's really a story of transformation and how your faith grew in the time of unimaginable difficulty. So it's one that demonstrates what we firmly believe here on Rebounding Faith, which is there is purpose in your pain and God wastes nothing. So we celebrate that today, Christine. I can't wait to get into to get into this. So let's dive in. Um, I wanted to ask you how you would describe your life and your faith prior to age 35, which is when you were kind of came up against your first medical trial and you fell ill. Yeah. So I was raised Catholic, um, in a very large Catholic family and my faith, I I mean, I always believed in God Hmm. and that was, you know, that was a root in my life, but it was, you know, when it was convenient. So for instance, when I had small children and my friends would say, come to this Bible study with us on Wednesdays, I would tell them if it doesn't interrupt my yoga class. Hmm. And so, and so I went to church on Sundays and I believed in God and I knew some scriptures, but it wasn't, it wasn't my root, so to speak. It was, it was, you know, I'll t- it could take it or leave it. Yeah. But I knew, I knew God was there, but you know, I, I lived a very privileged life. Mm. I didn't have to pray all the time. I, mean, I felt yeah. like I didn't have to pray all the time. And so it was enough for me at the time. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, it wasn't enough for me at the time. I thought it was enough for me at the time. Mm, good that's point. good. 
Well said. And I know, you know, what I took note of, because I relate to this, I do this too. Each year you would pledge, you say each year I would pledge to be better than the last. I will be a better mother, a better wife, a better friend, and you're going to volunteer more. I was putting my faith in me and my ego. I was building my life around myself and not God. So looking back, would you say you were aware of that at that time, Christine? Uh, so in other words, were you happy and fulfilled? I was not aware of that. I yeah. thought by writing a check, that was good enough. And I thought by going to the right church, it was good enough. I thought by taking my, having my kids go on mission trips, that was good enough. Yeah. And when things started to get really, really hard, I realized I had built myself on false idols. I had built my entire life on my own pride and ego, materialism, you know, control that I was carrying in my life, unforgiveness, uh, the idea that yoga was more important than going to church. So I had all these false idols and slowly they became, they started to be chipped away and it was confusing for me because I didn't realize why I felt so empty and and so lonely. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I was really faced with the fire on the third illness, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I completely, I, I completely died to myself and I almost literally died, but I was, I was kind of hoping I would die at that point because mm-hmm. I didn't know what life looked like with an abundant faith in God, with a total dependency on God. And what that means is not meditating on the outcome. I had no idea whether I was going to live or die through chemotherapy. I had, no, my doctors were telling me this is a percentile chance of survival. Hmm. And that was, I, w- I was meditating on that. Well, what if I can't raise my kids? Well, what if I can't get to the next, you know, Cartier bracelet? What if I can't buy that bag, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it became very obvious to me during the short term of chemotherapy that people were watching me. You know, I was young, I was 41 going through breast cancer and, you know, none of my contemporaries had been through that type of illness and so they were looking at me to model something, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't modeling courage at that time. And so when I started to really do some introspection, you know, there's a lot of people that were coming to show up for me, but there's also a lot of time when you're alone, when you're on your bathroom floor, you're sick for 20, you know, 24 days from chemotherapy or 24 months or whatever. And it was during that time where I started to really pay attention to what was my idols were. And I was like, wow, I really built myself on sand here because I've sunk. And when I start to really rebuild my life and try to figure out like, well, what does life mean? At the end of the day, what matters? And every space that I looked in, every space that I was filling was, was faith, was God. There was no dependency right. on anything external. You couldn't take it with you. And that was a total bummer for me, right? Yeah. Like I was dependent on being a guest model. I was dependent on working around the world as a model. Like that was my, my ego and my pride. And, and if, if I got the guest campaign, I wanted a bigger campaign. Why? Cause it was depleting and fleeting. That, that feeling of being filled up wasn't enough. Yeah. But, but then when I started to dive into my faith, I was like, this is it. This is the answer. And the outcome doesn't matter. But what I show people every day, including myself and my children is courage, is faith, is my dependency on scripture, is my dependency on God's word. And whether I die or not, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, I know I've done my job. And that's by showing up for myself and showing up for other people, which is what my friends were doing for me. They were showing what what life looked like. Mm 
And so, and, and don't get me wrong. That's like, that seems so simple. It was, it was horrible. It was so hard to go through. Yeah. Because, but when you build your life on materialism and an external value for 41 years, it's really hard to change that. Yeah. You have to do a lot of work to do it. You have to change everything you're listening to. For me, I don't listen to the news. I only listen to faith-based music. I, I listen to podcasts that lift me up. I lift, I listen to life giving podcasts and I don't listen to anything else. I don't listen to people that criticize me. I don't listen to haters on social media. I don't give them a second of my time right. because I need to be focused. I have one focus and I have one judge and one jury and that is God. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what else, Christine, it occurred to me as I was reading this, you know, you made your livelihood, you know, you started out as a model, right? That's what yes. you did. That was your, your foundation, but you were still modeling as you went through these difficult trials and what you endured. You were still modeling. You were still just doing it in a different way. You were modeling where you were. You were modeling your courage. You were modeling now. You're modeling your faith for others. Right. And it's just, it's so apparent. It's so interesting to me how you've always been a model. You know, you still are. You're still showing that for others and being an example. So I just, that really stuck out to me. And I just wanted to make sure and, and say that, that I admire you so much for that. And just, yeah. you know, what you went through and that you've decided to make it a cause, you know, really, um, and share that. So, um, so for some of our listeners, um, that haven't had a chance to read your book yet, I just thought maybe if you could sort of like, uh, summarize the medical, uh, challenges, cause there were three very distinct medical trials that you had. Um, right. and maybe if you could describe that, uh, real quick. Sure. Well, four now, but yeah, we'll start with a three. Yeah. Um, so when I was 35, I had an emergency colon resection and, you know, for 35 young, healthy woman, that's pretty unusual. And the doctor went in orthoscopically to take a portion of my colon out. And when I woke up in the recovery room, I had a port in my neck and a blood bag above my head, which I, at that time, I didn't even know what a port was. And I was having my second blood transfusion. So he had made an error in surgery and nicked a vein in one of my bones. And this is interesting about that story. I had, when I picked this doctor to do this surgery, I had brought in my comp sheet. A comp sheet is basically your modeling resume. It's like a square. It's got four, three to four different pictures on it. And I basically said to him, I'm like, we're doing this orthoscopically, right? And he goes, yeah, it's no problem. I would normally do it orthoscopically. I said, well, this is my job. Like I need the scar to look really good. And when he nicked a vein in my bone when I was 35 years old, he was so afraid to open me wide up, wide open, to cut me wide open to see where the source of the blood was coming from. So he spent about 30 minutes searching for it without opening me up. And I almost bled to death because of that. Mm-hmm. So here I had put on this person, this doctor, who made a simple error that he, gosh, he can't open me up in an emergency because this is my livelihood. This is my job. This is my idol. So I almost bled to death from that. And then like I had, I woke up with, well, the pain was grotesque, but I had this scar from hip to hip and I I felt my abdomen. I was like, what am I going to do? You know, this was really, that was really scary for me. And it took me about a year to get over that. And I had some hints 
that something was wrong. And I'm not talking about physically, emotionally at the time. I, you know, God was working with me there. You know, I think if, if I think if I had understood it then, maybe I wouldn't have had to go through the other two. But I didn't quite get it. You know, I was, I was happy. I was still, I went back to my yoga. I went to back to, you know, writing the check for the charities. I went back to shopping and buying the bag because I felt bad, you know. And I and life marched on. You know, when I was having difficult time emotionally, I'd go lay on my yoga mat. That was like my solace, right? I mean, you can imagine the big, that's a big false idol, but I had no idea. So then fast forward to when I was 41, six years later, I, from yoga, had a torn ligament in my right wrist. And again, I went to find a doctor who repaired the ligament. And six weeks after the surgery, he took the cast off. And two days later, my arm ballooned. My right arm looked like, I woke up on a Sunday morning, and my right arm looked like my thigh bone. And that's obviously unsightly, but that wasn't the problem. It, the pain was grotesque. And I would carry my arm on my chest because it was too painful to move. I, and I was shaking. The pain was so grotesque, I was shaking. And so I stopped eating or drinking anything because I didn't want to get up to go to the restroom. And now I have little kids and I am completely paralyzed in pain. And I was afraid to call the doctor on a Sunday because my self-esteem was so low. It had taken so many hits for so long. You know, when you're in that the modeling industry and you're dependent on what you look like and you show up and you're a couple pounds heavier or your hair isn't colored right and they send you home, you feel bad about yourself. And slowly, you know, after being in that industry for 30 years, it was like really hitting me. And and so when this doc, when I finally called, when I got up enough courage to call the doctor on a Sunday, which is ridiculous, like we should call the doctor, you know, when we need a doctor. Yeah, right. but I but I didn't feel good enough about myself. Yeah. Looking yeah. back, it's so simple. But anyway, so I called him and he. I went in the next day and he said I had this disorder called RSD. And he never took an x-ray. He never did a blood test. And for, for months, he sent me to a physical therapy place way outside of his office. Like he got rid of me. And seven months later, I don't know, I had maybe eight or nine casts on over the course of that seven months. I started to lose my hair. My I was losing weight. I was in pain every day. I was going to physical therapy where the pain was so bad that I was crying during physical therapy. I wasn't able to pick up my kids. You know, I was totally immersed in this medical situation for months. And I was walking around my neighborhood every day, a little bit, you know, just trying to get some, you know, thinking about stuff and life and what's it about. And and I, one of the gentlemen that works in the park and, park and recreation of the neighborhood I lived in, he walked over to me and he goes, wow, you have another new cast on. And I was like, who are you? And I, I swear God sent that person for me because it was, it was then where I was like, I have another cast on. There's something wrong. I need to see another doctor. And it was like, I couldn't see it myself, but he was putting, he was planting people in my life to show me that there was something more going on. Yeah. So I yeah. finally saw a second opinion and the doctor took one x-ray. Every bone in my wrist was broken. Wow. I had no cartilage left. And the infection was, well, it was going up my arm. And so I was in emergency surgery that day. And ultimately three months later, my arm was fused. My arm, I have a cadaver, this is a cadaver bone. I have a cadaver Achilles tendon and you know, that lesson was enough, right? 
So then I'm up in New York. I found this great doctor who will repair this other doctor's botched job because a lot of the medical community won't go into another doctor's botched job. So I find this doctor in New York and he performs this surgery. I go back to New York City for my six-week post-arm fusion checkup. Now, I'm just trying to figure out how to live my life with a fused arm. Like pain-wise, how am I going to drive? How am I going to cook? Like, what does my life look like, right? And when I was in the shower in the hotel room, for months, I had poured liquid soap over my shoulder. And that's how I washed my body because I had all these caps on. So my arms outside of the shower, liquid soaps pouring down my body and washing my body. Well, the hotel didn't have liquid soap. So I took a bar of soap and I washed my breasts and I felt a lump. Five days later, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. Wow. So now I had a fused arm. I was scarred up, right? I have no idea who who I am anymore. You know, I was the pretty girl. I was the model. I mean, that's why people love me, right? Right. And so, and I was about to lose all of it. And I couldn't even take care of my kids. So my identity as a mother, my identity as a wife, my identity as a model, my identity as a daughter, everything was shattered. Yeah. And, and it was in those early days of chemotherapy, early days of diagnosis where I was like, okay, God, just take me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I quit. So like, Christine, not- let me just ask you like, like when you were going through that, I can only imagine, right? Just only imagine what that was like. I have two questions for you really quick. From the time that your wrist, you got the cast off and you discovered a lump in your breast, how much time had elapsed between that and the other? Well, technically none, because I had, once my arm was fused, I was up in New York City with a cast on, with a new cast, which was from my fingertips to my shoulder because they just fused my arm. Yeah. So I was still in a cast. In fact, my chemotherapy had to be postponed for 30 days. Wow. Okay. Because when I, because when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had bone grafts. I had cadaver bones in my arm. And if they had started chemotherapy, those would have dissolved. That's and right. my arm would have been destroyed. Yeah. So you, you have had no break, essentially. Nothing. So, no. and now you're up, you're facing breast cancer. So my question is, what were the feelings that were racing through you at that time? You're, you're about to lose your identity, you just said. You know, you're, so can you describe that a little bit and what, what was going on? I mean, total despair. Yeah. Absolute total despair. One, when you're in physical pain, nothing else really matters. When you're in extreme physical pain, everything else is secondary. So I was in extreme physical pain. I was figuring out how to live my life with a fused arm. And I had a cast on for my fingertips and my shoulder. I couldn't even put a head, you know, one of those hair pieces. I couldn't put a ponytail on my head. Wow. I couldn't wash a dish. I couldn't drive my kids. I couldn't take care of my family. And now I was going to lose my hair, my eyelashes, everything. And I was like, I, I quit. Like, yeah. I, it, it wasn't just despair. I was begging to die. And you describe, you describe a... Um a time where you're in a parking lot and you're walking out from the doctor's office and you just start screaming, you know, like Mm. it's just something that to me kind of says it all for where the feelings were. It's just, you've carried them with you for so long and now, you know, you're just letting them out screaming. So, um, anyway, I think that I just wanted to ask you about that because I think for so many people who are facing 
that after trial after trial or, God forbid, cancer, right, they're up against that to hear from someone else who has faced that and hear the feelings so that they don't feel so alone. I think that that's so critical yeah. to hear, to hear that. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that, you know, in those times, especially as women, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be so strong. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be so independent. We're not supposed to ask for help, right? We do all of it. Right. And so I knew at that point, I got a cast on my arm. I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. I can't take care of my kids. I can't even take care of myself. And I can't ask for help. Right. Because my pride was getting in the way. Yeah. And I was dependent on myself, right? I wasn't dependent on God at that point. Right. And so when you take all of that on yourself, there's no way there's no, there's no movement forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't get to the next red light. Right. Yeah, you just stay stuck. You stay stuck in that place. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I, I'll give you one further. I wasn't even stuck. I was going backwards, mm. you know? Yeah. And so and so when I drove home that day, I was looking at all the families outside and living uh, what I considered to be a normal life. And I was like, I'm never having that again. I don't want to move on in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to take care of my kids. I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive this cancer. So I quit. Yeah. And that was my darkest moment. But that was also when God sent a team of women. Now, you don't need a team of women. You need a couple people in your life to show up for you. Fortunately, I had uh, several women show up for me, and they showed up day after day after day. And when they started to do that, I, I questioned that. Mm-hmm. I said, why are you doing this for me? Like, what, what can I do for you? Because I had lived that transactional life for so long. It wasn't just in the modeling industry. It was in the charity industry, right? Well, if you give this check, I'll give you this table for 10. Right. That's, that's life. That's like what we, that's the world we live in. It's very transactional. It's not right, but it's very transactional. So where was Christine during that time after you got the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and it was such a struggle for you, where was your faith then? Where were you in your faith walk at that point? Well, I started to realize that I had put the Bible studies and the scriptures and the Bibles, you know, kind of under a pile. And so I reached out to the people that were the ones that asked me to go to the Bible studies. I reached out to close friends of mine that were strong Christians. And I also reached out to people that were on my peripheral group of friends that I knew were, were serious Christians because I knew that I needed their help and guidance. And so they showed up, they said, we're all in. And I said to them, are you, but we've been going through this other thing. And before six years ago, we went through this other thing. And they said, listen, we're the hands and the feet of the Lord. We don't, it doesn't matter. We're not keeping score. And just because it's season after season of trial, what does that mean? Like, we're not going to show up for you. And I was like, yeah, you're not going to show up. for me." It was so foreign to you, that concept. It was so foreign for me. I was like, who are you people? (laughs) Right. But they were modeling for me. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were showing me what Christ-like devotion was like. Yeah. They were showing me what faith looked like. And I was watching. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a point yeah. in the book where you reference Isaiah 41 10. Do mm-hmm. not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I thought it was interesting, even in, in the book, you note the irony of the right hand, given that oh yours was a mobile <laughs> at the time. Right. Um, and I remember you saying, you know, if God is with me, why is he allowing me to suffer? 
um, through one agonizing trial after another, right? And that sounds like kind of like what you were saying, even with your angels, your friends, like, what are we doing? Like, we are just on this hamster wheel of like one thing after another. Why are you guys still here with me? And like, God, what is going on over here? Can you just describe how did God show up for you in that moment and pull you through? He showed up really through them. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. My son was supposed to come home from boarding school and he was delayed. And in the meantime, I was literally plotting my suicide. And I would tell my friends and family, listen, I, I really appreciate the help, but I'm never going to get through 28 rounds of chemotherapy. And I'd rather be in control of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept trying to control everything. Yeah. So I'm going to take myself out of this equation now. And, and, and spare you guys from all the further doctor's appointments and the terrible traumas and all of that going forward and the fear. I was, I was so engulfed in fear, right? Fear is paralyzing. And fear translates into anger. So I was very angry. And I was a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? And, and I didn't even realize it at the time, right? Because I was so stuck. So my friends would show up and they my son got to, you know, he... He got delayed from coming home. So when he was delayed, my friends would come over more. And one day they came into my house and they took everything out of my house that didn't represent life. Mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed on October 1st, which happens to be, I know, Halloween. And, and so I had skull, I have boys. So I had skulls, skeletons and skulls and things in my house that represented death. Well, one of my friends took me out to lunch and the other friends came in and took everything out that didn't represent life. And then they filled it with life. They filled it with plants. They put scriptures all over my walls. They put post-it notes everywhere. And so what, so what I was looking at was not these things that represented death. It was not e-news or Bravo or thing, materialism, my bags. It was, these, these were life-giving representations of Christ and and what he said in his promises and his word, instead of relying on my word, which was, I'm a victim. I can't get through this alone. Everybody's going to forsake me. Well, God wasn't going to forsake me, but I didn't know that at the time. And so they filled the gap, right? Sometimes we need people to fill that gap and be the hands of the feet of the Lord until we can learn how to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Really reprogramming your whole thinking process. All yeah. the, the tapes that played through your mind saying yes. that you were not worthy. and I'm not enough. You're not, not enough. enough. And then the, yeah. your friends came along and showed you yeah. the truth. And you started taking that in and surrounding yourself and absorbing all those truths in your life so you could begin to live them out. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. I am, am definitely someone who wants to control everything. So right. I resonated so much with your story around all the little things that you were controlling and trying yeah. to control. And even when you were talking about suicide, I was thinking, wow, that's like the ultimate control move, right? Like this that's- is going to go down exactly the way I say it's going to go down. And that's I just so thought it was dumb. very interesting. I also... Um, as I was reading so much about your friend group and your angels thought to myself, I really got to pick up my friend game (laughs) (laughs) thinking about all my friends that I know are going through stuff. I was like, I got a lot of work to do, but in all seriousness, like such a special group of women. And when you talked about even earlier, you, you talked about what you choose to listen to, what you let into your life and what you don't. Can you talk a little bit about 
just how important it is in these moments when you're going through a challenging time to really ensure that the right people are in your life lifting you up. Because I'm sure for as many people as you had that were supporting you, there's so many people out there that that don't, right? Yes. And don't have positive things to say and aren't uplifting. So can you talk about just how intentionality around that is really important? Well, I think one thing that tripped me up a lot was there in our in our families, we we expect people to show up, right? And when those people don't show up, we feel like a victim because we expect that. We don't we don't they don't necessarily have to show up, but I didn't understand that. And so when my friends started showing up, that wasn't enough for me. I was like, well, why isn't my so-and-so showing up? Why isn't so-and-so? And I was looking around, go questioning why those other people weren't showing up instead of just for, you know, looking forward and saying, these people are showing up, who cares? Mm -hmm. And so, but I think we get caught up in that tape of, well, these people should, and that person should, right? Mm -hmm. That we have to get rid of the shoulds, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so for me, I was fortunate enough to have built good relationships, but I think my book is very convicting for people because we can't just expect anything in this world, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying it's transactional, but you know, when somebody teaches you how they're gonna treat you, believe them. And that's, that's critical. And so when their voices start to overpower mine, I started to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. and, and I let them, you know, cause I, I let go of that pride. I finally surrendered. Like that's one of my favorite words, surrender. And I surrendered and said, okay, I'm going to listen to them and see what they have to say and see if they, they're doing it differently because they seem to be getting through life a little bit better than me. And so I was, I started to emulate them. And then when I, and this was just my idea, but I started to change the tape in my own head, but also on TV and also with podcasts. And, and, and especially right now with social media, and I post this on myself all the time, we have to be so careful who we follow because our moods change with other people's. Mm -hmm. And you can have a guest on your show and you can go leave it feeling very depleted or you can be leave it and feeling very fulfilled, right? right, right. It's that easy. And so I guard my heart, like the scripture, guard your heart. That's no joke. Mm -hmm. I guard my heart every single day. I'm very careful about who is in my life. I'm careful about who I calls I take. I'm careful about who I follow on social media. And if that's offensive to somebody, like if I don't follow somebody that expects me to follow somebody, that's their problem, not mine. Mm -hmm. But this all also not only goes back to faith, it also goes back to building your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a strong self-esteem like I did, you're going to make decisions based on that, that feeling of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And I did that for many years. Now my self-esteem is unshakable because it's rooted in faith. It's because it's rooted in God, because God is my, God is my judge, right? Right, right. But if we're looking to the world to fill us up, if I'm looking to my book as to how many copies are sold, or I'm looking to social media to see how many followers I have, my life is going to be built on sand again. I'm not doing that. I'm not going back to that. And so, and if I get criticism, if we get criticism, we all are going to get criticized at some point. Mm -hmm. We have to just let those things go because that's their heart. Whoever's given it to you, right? That's not our heart. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to who are you? Who's your judge? Like, who's your measure? And my measure is by God. 
Right. I think that's so good. So good, Christine, because um, I love that saying that we all have a God-sized hole in us, you know, that nothing can fill us up except God. It's how he designed us that way. And so to see you where you were before, you know, many people would think, oh, she had it all. You know, she was a model. She was successful. She was, uh, you know, affluent. All of these things, happy family, you know, two boys, all of this stuff, yet looking back, you know, I love to hear you say how, how much you've changed, how your faith has changed, and now you stand on the rock of God yep. and Christ. And one thing I wanted to ask you was, I love the acronym that you have in the book for chemo, which is <laughs> Christ has eliminated my opponent. And one of your girlfriends, your angels texted that to you uh, when you were in chemo, I want to say. And yes. that, I'm curious to see like how that really played in for you during those 28 rounds of chemo that just had to be brutal? Well, I mean, we can focus on anything we want, right? I mean, when I'd go into chemo, I had a port and they put the horrible medicine, you know, in the, in the port and I'd feel really, really sick. And in fact, at one point I took my older son with me and he was carrying me out of chemo. I could have focused on how that felt or how bad and how scary that is. But because she gave me that acronym, I was focusing during those times, Mm -hmm. during the eight hours I was sitting in that chair for week after week, I would say, okay, Christ has eliminated my opponent. And I would focus on that. Mm -hmm. But that's true in life. We can focus on anything we want. We can focus on fearfulness. We can focus on hopefulness. Or we can can focus on helplessness, right? right? I can be a victim. Nobody would blame me. Everybody would look at my life and look at my scars and look at my chest and they'd go, we get it, but that's a choice that I'm making. It's my reaction to the pain. It's everybody's reaction. That's their job, right? right. And if we can react, if we can react out of compassion and out of faith, knowing that whatever comes next, we're covered in faith. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Absolutely. I love that saying, fix your focus. It's kind of what you're talking about. Just fix your focus. And Gina, I know you had um, commented on how she opened the book. Yeah, I thought it was a really fascinating uh, opening line when you said, it was a warm day in September when I decided to kill myself. Uh, (laughs) And you discuss your illness and the trials and the, I would like to know, With all that you went through over this period of years, Christine, how did it affect your kids and your relationship? Well, that's a question I don't answer a lot, but I'll answer it today. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I I usually kind of, I usually give people like the masked version. Yeah. Um, My kids were angry. You know, fear obviously translates into anger. And they didn't want to lose their mom and they didn't know how to articulate it. You know, my older son was 12 and my younger son was 10. And I'll give you an example. One day I went out and got a brunette wig because I thought, oh, I've been blonde all my life and I'm going to wear a wig. I didn't want to look bald. And, and so my mom took me out to get a new wig and I, my son came home from school and I had this cute little brunette wig on, which my mom loved. She was like, you should keep that. Uh And my son came home from school and he looked at me and he ran over, he was 10 And he ripped the wig off of my head and threw it across the room and ran out of the house crying because he didn't want to see his mom look different. He knew what was going on, but he wanted his mom to look like his mom. So that really obviously affected them. And, you know, we tried for a long time to get them in therapy and they, 
they were resistant to it. They've had some issues, you know, moving forward. I think that they look at what I do with my life. And I think that that probably helps them at some point. Um, and, and boys, they have such a hard time articulating. didn't have girls. So it's different. And they saw the transformation, right? I mean, for so many years, I was modeling for them materialism. Mm -hmm. And so I think I, you know, changed that. <laughs> you know, even my texts to them are so different now yeah. versus yeah. then, you know? You know, instead of saying like, oh, I got floor seats to the Miami Heat, I'm, I'm going, okay, God loves you. And, Aww. you know, who, what is your measure today? And what did you do for somebody today? Yeah. And, and so... It's been a long journey for them. And I don't know what that feels like because I didn't have a sick mom. Right. But I can only tell you that from the way I live my life, from the grit and grace that I've shown other people, I know I've shown that to them as well. And and I and I know that they will be compassionate men when they get older. That's true. My, that's I, I think when you were saying that, Christine, I was just thinking about of course, it was really difficult for them. Of course, it took a toll on them. They did. Yeah. It, they were kids. They didn't know how to handle that. But I think it's a really beautiful transition that they watched you. I think yeah. that just like you saying that the text you send to them and the way you speak to them, you've helped heal them too from the trauma and the pain that you all went through collectively, right? Yeah. I don't. You don't realize how much of a family disease it is. Mm. Even until, I didn't realize it until really after, because I thought I, in the beginning, I really thought I'm, I'm, this is, this is me. This is my disease. I'm going through this alone. I'm going to fight this kind of alone, you know, and that's not true. It's a family disease and it really, really affects everybody. I yeah. have just a random question. So it was interesting. So we, I read the book and I was like way into it. I travel for work and I was on a plane and it usually takes me, I don't know, probably too long to read books, but I like whizzed through this on the plane and I hadn't had a chance to really do a lot of other research. I mean, obviously uh, now I have, but at the time I remember Catherine and Gina and I hopped on a call and I was so shocked when I found out you had two boys and not a boy and a girl like in the book. And I was like, what? Like my whole, my whole world just changed. So I don't know if you can share or if it even matters, but what was the reasoning from going from you have two boys to in the book, it's a boy and a girl. Well, I didn't know at some point. I mean, the written word is permanent, right? My book's out there. It's going to be out there. And I didn't know what kind of effect it would have on the children. Mm. But I also knew that I couldn't write a book that was just flowery and just said, oh, look at all these women that showed up for me. Everything was so great. And I got through chemotherapy and I'm healthy now. And that just wasn't true. Yeah. And so, and also when I was going through chemotherapy, there wasn't a book out there like mine. There wasn't a fictional depiction of somebody's life. And I thought that we needed that. hundred mm -hmm. percent. So, I mean, so many people need something as like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen and this could happen. And this is a very hopeful story. Right. And so when I was writing it, I knew I had to say a lot of the mud, like the dirty stuff. Right. And so I didn't portray myself in a great light because it was true. Um, but I wanted to show a more authentic and vulnerable story so that people really could relate to it. Because if we show our stories in a way that highlights only the highlight reel, right? Then people don't, they look at that and go, well, my life sucks. Yeah. Right. I don't, right. I don't feel any better. 
<laughs> I loved that. I loved that you did that, Christine. I love that you were so authentic. And then you said, look, I, I heard you in an interview saying, I did not make myself look good, but I had to I own it. that part of it too, right? To be I mean, genuine. Yeah. I mean, if I really want to go out there and help people, it's not about my name. It's not about the, the movie. It's not about the red carpet. It's about showing a story that's true in a way that people can understand it and relate to. Yeah. I'm trying to make people feel less alone than I did. Right. right. And so I didn't want my, going back to the question, I didn't want my kids at some point, if they didn't like the book or didn't want to be associated with it, I wanted to change it enough so that they could separate themselves from it. Mm-hmm. And so I made a boy and a girl. I changed the cities. I changed the names. And then that was enough separation, but still being authentic to the truth of the story. Yeah. And I thought that was fair. In fact, when I was first publishing this book or going, you know, to publish it, I had a lot of people in the publishing industry that said, don't put the scriptures in there. Mm. Don't put the Bible stuff in there. And I was like, well, that's not the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that takes, about, that takes away all the healing. And I'm not doing that. Right. So if this book isn't going to be successful because of that, I'm so good with that. that. Yeah. What yeah. an interesting, so like it, it's such a... Um, I don't want to say stereotypical, but like you, you see that a lot, right? When you're trying right. to really be authentic and be yourself and someone's like, eh, but we don't think people are going to like this. And you're like, but that's exactly the point. The point is this story is not for those people then. This is right. my story. And to your point, like I'm serving one person and that's very clear to me and I'm right. not going to have a book without him in it. So right. end of discussion. Right. Um, I think it's just such an interesting point of how much or how often I would say you get tested with stuff like that, yeah. that we say is important to us. And when the rubber meets the road, how do we yeah. really react to that? So I appreciate that sentiment. Thank you. Yeah. And so Christine, to sort of like just continue to travel through your progression. So yes. you have been through, you know, I want to say over six years of trials between 35 and 41, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. So there's like a period of six to seven years, I want to say more than that. Okay. All right. So, um, so moving into the post trial, right. And I know that there's still complications and you're still going through seasons, you know, of challenges from that. But when we had asked you, you know, what is your favorite verse? And you had responded with Proverbs three, five, which we all love here. And just to read it for our listener, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And so I would love to know, like your identity really has changed as a result of these trials. And I just want to read an excerpt that you wrote to us in why this is so important to you. You said, so what was seen was pain, confusion, loss of identity, but in fact, it was an opportunity to lean on what isn't seen, lean on faith and the eternal. So what was taken was not stolen. What was taken was not meant to be there to begin with. I was leaning on beauty, idols, materialism, and what I needed to lean on was God, his mercy, his grace, and faithfulness to shore me through it. He was in control when I wasn't. That is so beautiful, Christine. Love that. Yeah. I think that just really, really sums it up. But I didn't know, Christine, if you had anything you wanted to add to that um, and why that verse is so, so important. Yeah, I do. Okay, (laughs) great. I do. 
So I had another illness. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Of this. I went after chemotherapy was completed. I had several things happen. I lost three teeth because the chemo destroyed my teeth. I had a li- I have a liver spot. I have heart issues. And so the, the story doesn't end. And a lot of times people's story doesn't end. And I'm super sensitive to that, especially on social media, because a lot of women who've gone through breast cancer say, well, it's not just the month of October. And, and you know, it's true. And so when the whole world was kind of shutting down for COVID, I had, well, let me back up for the year before COVID. I had one of the implants that was recalled because the FDA allowed this implant to be out there, although they knew that this implant was causing cancer. That's all coming out now. And so my doctor called me one day and said, okay, bummer, you're going to have to these implants taken out that we put in you in 2016. I was like, really? I've had 20, like two non-elective surgeries at this point. I, I really don't want to. And my son was a senior in college and he said, well, just do it in a year. And I said, okay. So I go have this surgery. They take out the implants and they put new ones in. Because after you have a mastectomy, you know, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. And so after that explant surgery and I had my new implants, fast forward five months to March of 2020, I went for my daily walk, which I walk every day, listen to one of the preachers that I love, get my fountain of faith, you know, inside of my head before I start my day. And I come home, I sit in front of my computer and I'm working and I feel this like itch in my left breast cavity. And I'm like, after all the surgeries I've had, it's just no big deal. I'm sure it's just something that, you know, from reconstruction, because I'd had that surgery five months previous. And so a couple hours later, it felt like there were bees stinging my left breast cavity. So I go in my closet and I open up my shirt and sure enough, my left breast was a bright, bright red, like a dark cherry apple red. And I sent a picture to the surgeon who had done the exchange of the implants. And I sent a picture to my oncologist. They both call me and say, go to the emergency room. Oh boy. You have an infection. Now this was March 26th of 2020, you you couldn't oh, go to the emergency room. Shut down, it just happened. Yeah. There was nobody there. Right. <laughs> so I end, I go and there's somebody at the door saying, you can't come in. And I was like, well, my doctor's in there and he told me I have to come in. So I don't really want to be here, but I'm coming in. So they kept me for five days in the hospital. And this is this is such an interesting thing that happened during that stay in the hospital. That was the first of three stays in the hospital over the next three months. But during that stay in the hospital, we were all supposed to be in our rooms. And there were only three people on my floor because nobody was there because of COVID. And I would sneak out of my room and I would walk to the other patient's room and I would knock on their door Mm -hmm. and I would open their door and say, how can I help you? What can I do? Can I speak faith? Can can we talk God here? And everybody was receptive to it. Wow. So I get out of the the hospital. They put a pick line in my arm and send me home with massive antibiotics. So two weeks later, they take the pick line out and they go, you're fine. And I was like, okay, phew, I dodged a bullet. A month <laughs> Another later. Another one, yeah. I dodged a, a <laughs> Not really though, I didn't. A yeah. month later, at the end of April, the same exact thing happened. I go get my, you know, soul, so, you know, my podcast. I come home, literally the same thing happened. I go in my closet, lift up my shirt. And not only is the redness on my chest, but it's moving up my chest. Ooh. I can see it moving up my chest. So I sent off the pictures. They send me to the emergency room. I'm there again for five days. 
And this is so funny. The nurses, when I checked into the hospital, the nurses remembered me. Mm -hmm. They put me in a suite in that hospital. And they said, the reason we remember you is because all the patients that were in there, they kept asking for you when you got out. You were their angel. Yeah. I was there. I was trying to be their angel. So again, I'm, I'm sneaking out of my room during that stay and I'm going around to the other patient. Now there are more patients that time. I'm walking around the hospital trying to, you know, help other people. And and I get out of the hospital. They send me home with antibiotics. Fast forward a month and a half after that, I, tra- I traveled to go see my older son because I hadn't seen him the whole COVID. It was June of 2020. And I get off the plane and I feel terrible. And usually I've got my phone and I'm going through emails and I'm doing all these things to try to you know get organized with work. And I can't even pick up my phone. So I get home and I'm taking off my shirt and it's sticking to my chest. Oh. And I'm like, gosh, I feel really bad right now. And I look down and there's a hole in my breast. So I had an infect. Well, when I went into the hospital in March, they said I had a staph infection. Mm-hmm. By June, the staph infection had turned into a MRSA infection, mm-hmm. which is oh, deadly. Yeah, 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 really bad. And the MRSA infection was in the implant and it had eaten its way through my skin. Oh, gosh. So... <laughs> I send off the pictures and my oncologist, she FaceTimes me and says, you have a real problem. I'm going to send an ambulance. And I was like, no, I mean, you guys have, you're so cautious about COVID that you're not paying attention to what's happening with me. I'm not going to the hospital. So I ended up going that night because I had 104 fever. And if I had waited till the next day, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive. And it was in, I got, I checked into the hospital at eight o'clock at night. And by midnight, they were doing a full extraction of my chest, meaning no more implant, no more chance of implant because the infection had eaten so much of my skin. So now I have gone from being a cancer survivor, right, with implants, feeling pretty good about my chest to scars everywhere on my chest. And now I'm concave right? and no, and no chance of reconstruction. And I was like, I never really had to go through this when I went through breast cancer. I did have mastectomies, but when I woke up from the mastectomies, I had something there. So it was a completely different trauma. Mm -hmm. And it took me a few months. I mean, the pain was horrendous, but once the physical pain waned, it was the emotional pain that started to come and hit me. And I went back to the, you know, not really the victim mode, but like, okay, God, now why? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm serving you. Right. You are my measure. This is such pain. And I, I, I couldn't make sense of a lot of it, but I knew that I needed to use that pain to help other people. So I started posting pictures of me and, you know, really tight stuff. Yeah. And I was like, if I feel this bad about this, somebody else does. Yeah. Yes. So I became like a voice to thousands of women who were ashamed to come out without a prosthetic on, Mm -hmm. ashamed to go. I mean, I know this because they sent me messages. They wouldn't even go to bed with their husbands without a sports bra and like a prosthetic. And here I was flaunting this concave chest because my measure isn't this world. My measure in comparison with other women. My measure isn't comparison to the TV commercials or the billboards that I used to be on. Right. My mm. measure is with God and I'm whole. Even though I have no wrist, even though I have no chest, I'm whole. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so people would message me and go, we need your voice. And I yes. thought, okay, that's why I went through it. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Now, this is now a different purpose, but this is a purpose for me. And it's created a bigger audience. And so I have more people to share God's mercy and God's grace and the, the knowledge of faith over fear and all these lessons that hit me so hard and took me so long to get to. I have this new audience. This is like, feed me, mm-hmm. right? That's so, so good, Christine. Oh. And, you know, I, I don't know if I you know that, that our, <laughs> yeah, Gina's crying over there. Um, I don't know if you know that our verse for this ministry, Rebounding Faith, is 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 that says that we comfort others from the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So walking with those women who have walked yeah. the road you've, you've walked, I mean, you know it better than, you know, I, I haven't walked that particular road. So for you to come right. alongside of them and be their champion in that way, and in such a public way, I can only imagine how that's comforting to them and helping to really further the cause and further the education. So, so yeah, so we all celebrate you. And I think we need to get Gina some Kleenex. She's, <laughs> she's, she can uh, use my sleep. Oh, yeah, I'm so she's proud really, of you, um, Christine. Well, and you know, here's the thing. I take it as a real privilege, you know, yeah. and, it, and it, by the way, it gives me joy. Yeah. You know, I felt great happiness being the guest model after Claudia Schiffer. I felt great happiness in that life of materialism, but I never felt joy. Yeah. I feel joy. I'm in chronic pain. I have not had a day without pain in 10 years. I feel joy every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because my cup is from God. Yeah. yeah. It's never ending. And, and he knew that I would share this story, right? Right. Yeah. Right. He gave me the platform. I modeled for 30 years. I was in front of a camera for 30 years. And he flipped a switch and said, okay, you're going to still be in front of that camera in a different way. Yeah. 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 How can I say no? Right. Right. Well, and I, I love the concept it. of modeling, right? It's mm-hmm. just a different way of looking at it. And I hadn't really yeah. thought about it until like reading your stuff more and talking with Catherine about it and presenting it in that way of like, you are a model. You're just modeling something different mm-hmm. now. Yep. And it's so beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm walking in New York fashion week in the spring. So oh, cool. yeah. that's awesome. I love and that you're doing the bathing yes. suit. Yeah. Yes. I was just like, Oh, so you amazing. go. I, it's just so amazing that what I mean, we, yeah, I mean. you are out there and you are proud and you're brave and it took courage. And because you were willing to be vulnerable and show your true self to the world, God has blessed you and he has blessed them in immeasurable ways. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to vote. I mean, that's our job. We're supposed to be. Uh, Absolutely. So Christine, a couple of questions for you in closing. What is your message to those listening today that are struggling with their faith? What would you say to encourage them and give them hope? I would just turn off all the outside noise. I would turn off the critics. I would turn off the comparison. I would turn off the people that are judging you. Separate yourself from people that aren't cheering you on gently, right? Mm -hmm. In a graceful way. And turn off the E Bravo news and all that stuff that, you know, highlights what the world focuses on. Dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. But that's normal for most people, right? Mm -hmm. It was normal for me. Mm -hmm. But question your normalcy, right? question where you get your measure. It's if it's from outside accolades or likes on social media or from your husband or your friends, you have to, you have to rethink that because those things can get taken away. 
all of it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have to remember who your measure is and then pour into that, figure out what that means. Pour into the gospel, pour into, find friends that love God. Go to, go to Christian faith-based concerts, you know, listen to podcasts about it, you know, indulge yourself in that kind of learning. Mm, Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. Uh, I want to see how you answer this. I think I know, but I want to ask you anyway, your book is called Walking Beside Me. So who was or is walking beside you? Oh, God. Okay. I was like, I, I thought, okay, is she going to say her angels and God orchestrated that through that? Or is it going to be God? But I wanted to hear it right from you. So that's fantastic. Let me me say something. Yeah. In addition, right when my chemotherapy was over and I was starting to write the book, I would have said my angels Mm. and God had to refine me on that too. Yeah. Because he, they, he sent them. Those were the hands and the feet, but it wasn't them. It was him. Right. Oh, amen. And it's like, it's like me right now. This is not about me. I'm just the facilitator. Right. right. Absolutely. And so uh, I think it'd be great, Christine, to end on purpose in your pain. So moving forward, Christine, what do you have planned? Do you have anything that you want to share on how, uh, what you're working on currently? I do love to talk about e-beauty because I was fortunate enough to be able to afford wigs when I was going through treatment, but so many people are not. And if you go to ebeauty.com, which is our website, you can pick your color of your hair, the wig, you can pick the cut. We have partnered with L'Oreal, who gives us our grant money to ship all these wigs out. And we've partnered with Paul Mitchell Salons, who gives, um, who in their training salons, they wash and they style our wigs. And so anybody, it's a free resource. So anybody who's going through active treatment can go to our website and we will ship you out a wig. Wow. We have, we have redistributed over 60,000 wigs to women. Wow. That's amazing. I had heard that, Christine. And then there was like, I want to say you said maybe 30% of the women who no longer needed them gifted them back to the charity. Yeah. And that just blessed my heart. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, when they're finished, they send them back. Now, only about 10% of those we can use. Okay. But yeah, it's amazing. And some of those women send them back with like a check with like $5 or $10 yeah. because, you know, our biggest cost is shipping. And so they give back. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I love, I love to talk about e-beauty because so many people don't know about it. And it's a free resource for mm-hmm. people who need it. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think we should definitely put a link on our website to that uh, so we can absolutely we can connect that. And um, I would love also to just get the word out any way we can. Um, Well, Christine, I cannot thank you enough. Um, I, I mean, just you are such a source of inspiration to myself and I'm sure many others for not wasting your pain. You took some incredible challenges, monumental, and you have allowed God to work through you in such a way that you bring comfort and purpose to others. And so I know we all celebrate you and we thank you so much for your time. Where can people go to find out more about you or your causes? Uh, Well, you can go to my website, christinehandy.com, and we have all that stuff on there. Um, And you can also find me on social media, christinehandy1 on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. I'm 
I'm putting a lot of content out these days. I, I take these interviews and I put them out there so people can hear them. And it's great. It's, yeah. We're doing God's work. That's for sure. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And then the book, which I highly recommend, I thought it was a fabulous. <laughs> really good. Really so good. good. Yeah, really good. And they can find that Thank where, you. Christine? Well, it's actually it's sold most in bo- most bookstores. So Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon, Amazon. most people get their books, but Indigo books. I mean, it's really everywhere. Okay. Google it. It's, it's on my, I can sell it on my web. Well, I don't sell it through my website, but it gives you a link on my website to Amazon. And in case you guys missed it, the name of the book is Walk Beside Me. We definitely recommend it. It's a great read. We thank you again for the time, Christine, and we hope everyone has a rebounding week. See you guys next week. Thank you for joining us. Come and join us next week and be sure to like and subscribe to Rebounding Faith.